the Lord a hand praise again. Thank the Lord. Thank him for the praise and worship. Amen. We're glad to have Elder Max back. Amen. Amen. And we just thank the Lord for what he had done. Amen. Amen. Right now, before we bring our speaker out, I just want to give the message or passage this morning coming from Psalms 27. And this is a personal Psalm of David. And David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies, my foe, they stumbled and fell through and army may encamp against me. David said, my heart shall not fear. Through war may rise against me. In this I will have confidence. One thing I have desire of the Lord that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand, praise. Amen. Everybody stand. Praise the Lord this morning. We thank you for the reading of his word this morning. Amen. We're getting ready to be blessed. Uh, man, I tell you, we got so many powerful speakers here. And uh, Elder Watkins, not only he a doctor in the hospital, he a doctor around my house, darkening up the home, roof, everything. Here, he a doctor in the word in here. Amen. Everywhere we look around, he doctoring up something. So we want Elder Watkins to come on and just doctor us up this morning. Amen. So receive him. Amen. Amen. pressure. He didn't tell me he was going to do that. I would have strongly advised against it, but that's, that's okay. It come from his heart. <laughs> All right. It's, it's good once again to be here in the house of the Lord, to uh, be near in proximity to the saints of God. We might not be able to uh, give each other a holy kiss, right? Or the hand of fellowship, but it's the same thing, right? Just, just as it is good just to be here in the house of the Lord with the saints. Uh, I give honor to God. Thank the Lord for giving us health, life, strength, breath. I believe everybody here woke up in their right mind. If you didn't, don't have to raise your hand. But there's still uh, some day left for God to, to do anything, right? So we, we are glad to be here in the house of the Lord once again. For those that are out in Zoom land, we, uh, we thank you for being with us as well. God has blessed us to have technology that makes it such that we do not have to be cut off from the saints of God, that we can still have contact with one another 
because we are, in fact, the family of God. And we do, whether you want to admit it or not, need each other to survive. That is the way that God designed the family of God. And that is how he designed our homes and our families at home as well, where we need one another in order to survive. And that does not make us weak, but that makes us what? Stronger, right? That makes us stronger. And we are thankful to God that he and his infinite wisdom saw fit to make it that way. And just think about the family reunion that you will have one day when all of the families of God throughout the eons of time will get together and they will sing one song in accord, on one accord, one accord, praising, worshiping the true and living God. Let's just bow our heads before we get started, and I'm going to let you all have a seat. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Lord, for allowing us to be able to come together, to meet together here in the house of the Lord. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are here present with us in our midst we thank you that you have made it possible for us to be able to, to come together in person, but also uh, through the use of technology on Zoom. We ask right now that you would continue to bless us, Lord God, in our efforts. And we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would continue to bless uh, in, in bi mind, body, and soul, Lord God, each and every one, Lord God, those that are afflicted, those that are sick, those that are shut in, Lord God. Let them not be cut off, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Help them to know that we are here for them, that we love them, that we are praying for them. And we ask right now in the name of Jesus that as we get into your word, that you'd open it up to our hearts and our minds, that we'd be receptive to what it is that the Holy Spirit would have for us to learn on today, Lord God. Use this, your humble servant, Lord God, in such a way as to bring glory and honor to you and not to myself, Lord and let me not add anything or take anything away from your word, Lord. These favors, these blessings we ask by Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. On today, we will be talking about drawing near. Drawing near. Drawing near to the presence of God. Drawing near to the house of God. Drawing near to the people of God, and dare I say, drawing near to the judgment of God as well. That's a lot of drawing near, ain't it? Hmm? But that is what the word of God talks about in the book of Hebrews, which we will be coming from today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25 is what we will be concentrating on today. That being said, it's Nice to be in proximity with the family of God, as was said earlier. I don't know about you, but I look forward to being in a place that is the closest to being heaven, being in heaven without actually being there. I don't know if you ever thought about that, being with the saints of God, the children of God, being in the congregation of those who have been declared righteous by God through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ being grafted into his family and not just the temporal family, but an eternal family that, that that reality that we take for granted many times is in fact the closest to being in heaven as you can possibly be on this side. And that's something that we don't want to take for granted. That's something that we don't want to take lightly 
being here in the house of God with the children of God is an awesome thing that God has made possible. And I don't want to make those out there in Zoom land jealous, but if you are, I don't blame you for being jealous. Uh, we won't hold it against you, but in all seriousness, we do uh, understand the seriousness of this virus, and we do encourage you to come back when you are ready and not feel pressured one way or the other. All right. So in recent messages, uh, we came to you with warnings from the word, in particular from the book of Hebrews, which we are in now as well. And uh, just to jog your memory, we talked about not drifting away. As you begin to drift away in your spiritual life, uh, it happens very insidiously. It happens over time, and sometimes you don't even recognize it. There's other things in our life that happen like that as well. Sometimes you have people that are losing weight unexplained in an unexplained way, right? And somebody say, you've been losing weight. No, I'm still, as far as I know, I am, right? And that person comes to find out that they have some illness that they were unaware of. And they go to the doctor to find out, and sure enough, there's a problem, right? What's more common, though, around this time of year is that we pick up a few pounds, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? And the last thing you want to hear is, there's more of you this time, right? We don't want to hear that, right? But we don't even notice it, do we? We still look the same in the mirror, right? I mean, the scale is still in the closet, right? Sometimes still in the box, right? And we try to stay away from it as much as possible, but we look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't recognize what has happened over time. If we're not careful with our spiritual lives, we can also drift in a certain direction and not be aware of what's happening. We can be aware of other people and how they change, but looking at ourselves, sometimes we don't see it happening because it's happening over time. But it's still happening though, isn't it? And that can happen on an individual basis, a personal basis, right? It can ha happen on the, on the level of a family inside of a house, a family inside of a church, and a family inside of a nation. This nation has been drifting, drifting, drifting. And I think many of us are just now figuring out how far we have drifted. Hmm? We have drifted. And it has happened so gradually and insidiously that there are many questioning now whether or not there's still time, whether it's too late for this nation as a whole. We know, though, that God is the one who's in control, that he has all power, and that no matter how far we drift, it does not catch him by surprise, even though it may catch us by surprise. And all of this plays into his hand. And anybody who spent any time in God's word, in particular, the prophecies that have been made in the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Revelation, we already know what the end is going to be, don't we? But that still does not help us to come to terms with the fact that many of us woke up at some point in 2019 
and said, yeah, I know that, but it'll never happen in my lifetime. In nine months, we live in a different world, don't we? Hmm? Not just a different country, a different world. Things can change just like that. And we need to be mindful of that, don't we? So we have to be careful not to drift away, right? When we see ourselves drifting, get back in line, right? Hmm? Because if you drift long enough, you will fall away. We talked about that as well. Hmm? And we already know that the scripture says that there will be a great falling away before the Son of Man returns. We know that. So we need to stop fooling ourselves into thinking that that's not a reality that is before us. There will be a great falling away. And we need not try to delude ourselves into thinking, oh, but it's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen in my family. It's not going to happen with my people. Well, that's not what the word says. There'll be two people out in the field. One will be left, the other one is going to be taken. There'll be two people in a bed. One will be taken and the other one will be left, right? Huh? Jesus himself said, I don't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Hmm? Mother against daughter. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Father against son. How in the world can something like that happen? I think we're getting a better understanding, an idea about how some things like that could possibly happen. The word of God has already talked about it. We just need to realize that what God said then is still true today, and it shall come to pass. There will be a falling away. And the problem with drifting away and falling away is that if you do it long enough, the end result is that you will pass away. You will pass away. You will pass off the scene. You'll be a little blurp in history, right? You may do the ultimate passing away and lose your opportunity hmm? to make choices and decisions that have an impact, not only in this life, but where you spend eternity as well. The last thing I want to hear is too late. Hmm? Because when you hear the words too late, that means that the rest of eternity is going to spent with unending regret. And I don't know. I, I try not to spend too much time thinking about which part of hell is the worst. Is it the fire? Is it the outer darkness? Or is it the unending regret? Missed opportunities. If I had went this way rather than that way, I would not be here now. And that's what you will be faced with in all eternity if you don't first wake up to the fact that you are drifting away and then realize that you are falling away only to pass away. I know this is a hard message. It's hard for me. Because there are some people that I know aren't right with God. And I know time is winding up. And I do not want to be held accountable by God because I did not say what needed to be said when it needed to be said. And let the chips fall 
where they may. Because I know that he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. And when you tell the truth out of the word of God, which is the sword, it divides people, doesn't it? Anybody ever had that experience? It can happen right in your own house. So we know that our enemy is, is Satan and that Satan likes to go around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Is that right? But we need to be alert, don't we? So that we don't end up drifting away, then falling away, and then ended up passing away too. We also talked about falling asleep behind the wheel. I don't know if you remember that message. This is talking about being alert. And it was talking about the dangers associated with a lack of alertness. Being aware of your circumstances, your surroundings, what is going on around you and not be so myopic where all you're doing is just looking at one thing and one thing only. If you're going to be myopic, you need to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, right? If you're going to be myopic, just look at Jesus and he will be able to inform you of the other dangers around. But if you are looking at something here on earth in a myopic way, you're totally discounting everything else that is going on around you and you are not alert like you should be. We need to be more like the gazelle who watches for the lion in the tall grass. Why does he eat and then put his head up every once in a while? Because he's being alert and watchful because he knows that there are dangers out there, not only for the gazelle, but the whole herd, right? Hmm? You got to look out. You got others that's just sitting there eating, eating, eating. They not worried because why are the other ones watching, right? We have been entrusted to be watchmen. Watchmen on the wall. Hmm? Scripture talks about that. So being alert, it, it requires for us to have uh, senses that are heightened, right? Uh, your eyes, your ears, other senses as well. And what you're doing is actually taking information and processing it in your brain, right? So that you can be aware of what's going on. We see the signs around us, right? And we cannot be compelled only to react in a way that is just surface level, you know, feelings, emotions, sentiment. But we need to use what God has given to us, right? Our brains and look at things using some wisdom, right? Reason, logic, prudence even, right? Discernment, right? This is what God wants us to do because he has made us creatures who are capable of having discernment because we have not only the word of God, but we have the spirit of God as well to help us to see things through the lens of God's word and see things for what they really are, right? Not looking at the surface, but looking at what's behind the scenes, right? Looking at who's controlling the strings, right? Who is doing this and who is doing that? And we know that Satan is against us. And I've always told my kids that you are walking around with a bullseye on you, on your front, on your back, on your side, on your forehead. And guess who put that bullseye there? We did. Your parents and your grandparents. And you know how we did that? 
because we chose to serve God. And the world and the flesh and the devil are after you now. I'm sorry that I brought you into a life like that where you have a bullseye on you, right? But that's the way that it is. And you need to be aware that you have these bullseyes on you and realize that the only way that you will not be a casualty is if you trust in the same God. Hmm? That if you believe in Jesus Christ, he is the only one that will get you through this. Otherwise, you will be a guaranteed casualty. A casualty of spiritual warfare. Who does the lion go after? The little one. The one that's straggling behind. The one that gets separated from the rest of the herd. That is the one that the lion goes after. That is the one that has the target on it, the bullseye, right? Because it is most vulnerable. But we need to be those watchmen and hold ourselves accountable. We can't say, well, they're 18 now. Well, they're 21 now. Well, they're on their own now. Huh? They'll be all right. Everybody got to go their own way. What if somebody said that about you? Would you be sitting here today? Are we praying, church? Because I got enough sense to know now that I can't save none of my kids. I can't save anybody. I can't even save myself. That's God's business, right? But don't fall asleep on your job and not plant the seeds. Don't fall asleep on your job and not water that seed. Every once in a while, come on now, right? Then you can rest and say, you know what? It is God who brings forth the increase. Because God does not have any grandkids. He don't have no nieces and nephews, right? He don't have no godchildren, right? He don't. He don't have no aunties and uncles. All he has is sons and daughters. That's it. First degree relatives that were born again and adopted into his family as sons and daughters. You will not get in because of your last name. You will not get in because of whose son or daughter you are, who your auntie and your uncle are, who your grandmother and your grandfather are. You will not get in because of that. It's not going to happen. So they have to be thoroughly convinced within themselves that they need a personal relationship with God. They need to be thoroughly convinced within themselves that the only way to God is through the way, the truth, and the life, and that is Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but we know what that leads to. That leads to destruction. And is there any shortage of destruction in this world? We see it happening more and more and more. And all we do is say it. SMH, SMH, shaking my head, shaking my head. But you know what? We got to do more than shake our head, don't we? Huh? We can't say it's good enough that I made it in. Huh? Time is winding up and we don't have time to mess around. The night watchman on duty is not only responsible for his own life, but the lives of others that he watches over as well. 
And that's corporate, right? We just talked about your personal responsibilities with your own senses, right? But there is a watchman. And good parents should be like a watchman, right? Good teachers should be like watchmen. Good pastors and spiritual leaders should be like watchmen. The good shepherd watches over his sheep and protects them from dangers seen and unseen. Some of them look like wolves, and you can tell that they're wolves, but others are wolves in sheep's clothing. And the only one that's got enough sense to know it is sometimes the good shepherd, right? The good shepherd knows that. So what is the duty of the watchman? The Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 1 through 19, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But this, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now, as far as you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, Oh, wicked man, you will surely die and you do not speak to warn that wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. Isn't that a sobering reality? See, God gives us children, and he expects us to be good stewards of those children, right? They're not just some possession, right? That you just, you know, do with as you please, right? We're talking about a human soul that is eternal, created in the image and in the likeness of God, an image bearer of God. That should cause us to consider some things, right? If you're a teacher of children, whether it be in the public school system, private school, Sunday school teacher, that should sober us in terms of what we are putting into either those children or those students that are in our class. If we are a spiritual leader, it even goes up higher because not many of us should be teachers, right? As James says, hmm? in James chapter three, not many of us should be teachers because there is a stricter punishment, right? That will come to those, a stricter judgment that will come to those, right? Who teach and do not teach truthfully. 
right? Because there is a lot at stake when you are disseminating information. And those that lead millions and millions of people astray, they will be held accountable. They will be held accountable. So if we're going to teach and if we're going to instruct, we need to make sure that we are teaching and instructing in such a way that it is truthful and it is honoring to God. And if we don't warn people, no matter how much we may resist it because we don't want them to not like us or we don't want them to leave or we don't want to destroy a relationship, whatever it is, right? Is that actually showing love to that person? If you knew that somebody was going to die and go to hell for all eternity and you call them your friend and you know this is going to happen to them, are you truly their friend? Hmm? Are you? I mean, if you tell somebody, you know what, I know that's your choice, but you need to know that there is a righteous God and what you are doing is an abomination in the sight of God. Can, can, can you really be concerned about, well, they just going to say that's just my opinion. But if you don't tell them, though, you don't know that, right? They might say, I didn't know that. Huh? Why didn't you tell me sooner? I wish I had known this years ago. What must I do to be saved? Wow, I didn't expect that. But you don't because you didn't ask, right? You didn't say. You didn't give God the credit that he's due, that he is the one who touches the heart. He is the one, right? And he just wants us to be faithful and do what he said to do. So how can we avoid being caught unaware? What must we do to avoid this fatal error? What is the responsibility of those given charge over us by God? Drawing near. We got to draw near to God, don't we? We got to draw near to the presence of God, to the house of God, to the people of God, before we draw any closer to the judgment of God. Because it's coming, right? And we know where it starts, don't we? Drawing near to individuals or groups of individuals involves love and devotion, doesn't it? And this is something that I'm learning more and more as I get older. Love and devotion to another is hard to truly express without first having a desire to be close in proximity to them. Do you really want to be around people or are you content to be by yourself? If you really, really, truly love the people that you say you love, it should inspire in you a desire to love and be devoted to them and express this by having a desire to be close in proximity to them, right? I know there's a saying that says that uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Now, absence sometimes saves marriages, right? It does. Because you find out as soon as they both retire and they're in the house with each other for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they find out some things that they did not know before, right? God, say it ain't so, right? Some of us don't ever, ever need to retire, right? If we know what's good for us in our marriage, right? And I said some of us, not to mean me. I'm talking about y'all. I'm talking about y'all. But what I'm saying to you is, <laughs> in order to express love and devotion to one another, we need to first have this desire to be close in proximity to them, right? And as I was reading that, I was 
remembered of a song that I used to listen to back when I was growing up. I think it was sung by the Carpenters, close to you, right? And it said, why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? Just like me, they long to be close to you. Why do stars fall down from the sky every time you walk by? Just like me, they long to be close to you, right? You know the song, right? You get to the end. Why, why, close to you, right? You know, that's an old song. Some of you might know the one from Fred Hammond, though, right? I want to be, I just want to be close to you, right? That is my desire, right? Just to be close to you, right? Just to be close to you, right? That is an expression that you are devoted to God, right? That is a sign that you truly want to know God in a close and intimate way because you desire to be close to God, to be in proximity with God, to be in the presence of God, right? These are things that we cannot escape. We can say we love, we can say that we want to be, you know, but if you are not having a desire to be close, then it's hard to really prove that, isn't it, right? It has to do with actions, right? And, and since uh, I have finally gotten off from, from the night shift after working 27 years, I'm trying to get used to being around my family again, because when, when I was sleeping, they were awake. And when they were sleeping, I was awake, right? And I'm trying hard. I'm looking forward to it, too. They might not believe me when I say it, but I am looking forward to a time when we can all go to bed at the same time, wake up together, and I can actually look upon their smiling faces and be with them and be in close proximity with them. Now, that's the truth. That is the truth. I'm still trying to get out of this idea of being, you know, being a nighttime dweller and be a day walker. That's what I'm trying to do. And uh, it's, it's a hard thing. It's coming slow. I mean, even last night, I mean, I, I think I might have, I got, well, yesterday morning, I got up in the morning at like seven o'clock or six o'clock because that's what time I got to be at work. And I got sleepy around 10 and I'm like, what in the world is going on? I slept from, from 10 to about noon. And then I got up, did some stuff. And, and, and then I took another nap for about two hours. And then now is that me getting off of nights or is that me getting old? I don't know which one it is. But I ended up staying up till three o'clock this morning because I could not go back to sleep. Could not go back to sleep. I'm trying to get myself back together again where I can actually. But you know what? I stayed up with all the kids last night. I don't know why they was up at three o'clock in the morning. I guess because I was. But we were just there talking and talking and talking. Haven't done that in I don't know how long. And that is something that I enjoy. And that is something that I want to be able to do more with them. Okay. And that is something that I, I look at from this perspective as being something to actually show that love and that devotion because of a desire to be within proximity. And that's how it is in the house of God. Yeah. I could be at home on zoom right now. Well, not today, maybe next week. Right. But my desire is to be here in the presence in proximity with the saints, because it's not the same. It's not the same. God didn't design us this way to not be around each other 
did not design us to be secluded and isolated, but he wanted us to be a community of believers in a family. All right. And that is something that I'm glad God is making possible for us today. So Hebrews 10, 19, 25, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day approaching. What day is that? That's the day of judgment. It's coming. And it's saying that we need to do what we are doing right now, assembling together, even more so as we see that day approaching. So drawing near to the presence of God. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, it says, uh, for the context, we have to look at the preceding verses, and it goes all the way back. We're not going to do all of that because you would have to go back to, to chapter 8. We're not going to start from chapter eight and move forward from there. But basically what he is saying here is he, he's, he's helping his brethren. And these brethren are people that are Jews. And some of these are believing Jews, Christian Jews. And there's others that are still trying to hold on to the Levitical law, okay? The ceremonial laws and things of this nature. And what he is trying to do is get them to see that those things that you find in the book of Leviticus were just types and shadows, right? But what we are dealing with now is the substance of those types and shadows. And that is Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law, right? He didn't come to destroy it, but he came to fulfill it. So this Uh, is an allusion to us entering into the presence of God. So therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, makes reference to the fact that they had in the tabernacle or the temple, there was the outer court, right? And there was the inner court, right? And you had the priest that went up to the veil, but you only had one each year rope tied around him, bells on him, walking into the holies of holies after he had made sacrifice for himself and for the people, right? Before he could even go in there, he had to make a sacrifice for himself just in case there was something there, right? And I imagine there were some who went in who got drug out. I imagine. Hmm? Had to pull him out with the rope. Hmm? That's a hard reality. But now we don't have a situation where we have to have priests to go in and sacrifice an animal for themselves and then go in and hope to God they get out alive, right? As they make sacrifice for the nation. We have a high priest who is the sacrifice, right? Who was a perfect sacrifice, right? And he didn't go in, right? 
and then come back out like the priest. He went in, and when he went in, he tore the veil of separation so that we could be led in to the presence of God in the holies of holies. That is where we are able to go now because of what Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has done for us. We can have confidence to enter the holy place because Jesus is our high priest and the veil or the wall of separation, the partition has been removed or torn from the top to the bottom. Good thing it wasn't torn from the bottom up because that might've been something that man did, right? But it was torn from the top down signifying that God is the one who took away the separation, right? He tore it from the top all the way down to us, removing that partition, that separation, that veil, that wall. And we know that Jesus, when he was on the cross, his skin, right, his flesh was like a veil. And we know that when he was in the Mount of Transfiguration, he pulled that veil back and he demonstrated and showed to them the Shekinah glory of God, right? when he was on the cross and they beat him and they whipped him and they pierced him, right? And they put the nails in his hands and his feet. His, that veil was torn, wasn't it? It was torn. It was torn, giving us access to the throne room of God, the holies of holies. By his stripes, we are healed, right? We're healed. Healed from what? Healed from the sin, the sin sickness that was killing each and every one of us. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. So Jesus' flesh was torn on the cross and the veil of the temple was torn, giving us access to the presence of God presented by the Holy of Holies and represented in the, by the Holies of Holies in the tabernacle and the temple. All right? We also need to understand that we need to draw near to the house of God. And we know that the church, that is the physical church, this place, is not the dwelling place of God, right? We don't come here to find God or to meet God. We bring God with us, right? Because the Holy Spirit resides in us, right? We are the house of God. Not only the house of God, but we are the household of God as well, right? So don't forget those two aspects. We are not only the house of God, that is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, but we are the household of God as well. That means that we are the family of God as well, right? And we all have within us, each one of us who are saved, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, right? Huh? Jesus is our great high priest, and he is over our house, right? And the, and the Holy Spirit will not dwell in an unclean temple, right? God does not dwell in a temple, tabernacle built with man's hands, but those made by his hands, for each of us has been knit together in our mother's womb by the hand of God. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, this is an illusion of what the priests had to do before they went in, right? The thing about what they did, though, was only able to temporarily 
cover their sins, but could not wash away their sins, which is why they had to continually come back year after year after year after year. But Jesus died once for the ungodly, right? He made one sacrifice, one offering, and then after that, it put all other sacrifices on notice that we don't need you anymore, right? Because Jesus is the one who those types and shadows was pointing to. And once the substance has been manifest, what need do you have of the types and the shadows? They're obsolete now because they were only pointing to the substance, which is Jesus Christ. And we have our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. See, before, those, the blood of bulls and goats could not take care of your evil conscience, could it? Couldn't take care of mine either, just so you know, right? Could not take care of it. But what Jesus does is he does not just cover the outside. He don't just wash the outside because they washed their skin. But guess what? They got dirty again, didn't they? Right? He told the disciples, I don't need to wash your whole body, right? Because you've already been what? You've been clean. You've been washed, right? Only thing I need to do is wash that part that is still connected to this physical sin-cursed world, and that is your feet. You walk on a sin-cursed earth, and I need to wash your feet, right? But you have been clean. I don't need to wash you from the top down because you already have been sanctified, already been cleansed, right? But Jesus, in his death on the cross, he sprinkled our hearts and demonstrated that the way that you change a man is not from the outside in, right? You don't polish him up on the outside and make him look good, right? Huh? It's like putting lipstick on a pig, right? It's still a pig, right? You just dressed it up and put a little lipstick on, right? And who's going to kiss a pig, right? Nobody. Well, some people might. Some people have. I'll take that back. I don't want to speak incorrectly. But when you look at that pig, okay, that pig, he just... You can wash him up, clean him up or whatever. But the only thing he's thinking about is how, can, how fast can I get back into that mud and, and get myself all dirty again? Okay. With a child of God, though, that is not the case. A child of God does not have that thought because the work has been done on the inside and it manifests itself on the outside. Okay. And this washing of pure water. Washing by the word, right? Washing daily by the word so that you can be pure and clean. In order for us to draw near, we must first have a sincere heart. Okay? God touches our heart. And we have to come in faith. We have to come trusting God. And, and this sincere heart makes it possible for us to have full assurance. If we have full assurance uh, with a sincere heart as we draw near to God, this requires faith. We have to have that faith in God. Looking at uh, Hebrews 9, 18 and 19, it says, therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. So this is the uh, allusion that is making about what it is that 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 God did through Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. Finally, we have to look at drawing near to the people of God, verse 23 to 25a. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So drawing near involves holding fast. What does that mean? When you hold fast to something, you are clutching it. You are grasping it, right? Uh, I would imagine it's kind of like, you know, a, a, a parent walking across the street, a busy highway, right? And that child reaches up and grabs onto that parent's hand, right? And, and squeezes it to the point where, you know, maybe their fingernails are digging into your skin, right? They don't want to let you go because they believe that to let go, to lose their grip could mean what? Death, right? And we need to hold on, hold fast, right? Without wavering to the promise that God made to us. He made many precious promises to us and we need to hold fast to him. So we draw near even closer, right? And when you see, you know, people that are, that are uh, young people in love or whatever, they always want to be around each other. They always want to be on the phone with each other. They sit there on the phone and they fall asleep and they wake up the next morning and they still on the phone, right? Huh? They, they want to spend all their time together, right? Uh, they either over at their house or they over at this house, whichever, you know, they can't get enough. Always close, always together, right? This drawing near in whole, involves holding fast, right? And we need to hold fast to the people of God because God has designed that to be like our lifeline, right? We know that we, we live and move and have our being, right, in God, right? But God has given us relationships here on earth that make it possible for us to make it from day to day. Who knows how God uses another individual to help you get through the day. And if you're honest with yourself, you will admit that that person you sit next to, even though they get on your nerves and sometimes you say, I can't stand you, right? Huh? You need them, don't you? You love them, right? Huh? You might not like them all the time, but you love them, right? And that's something that we need to understand is necessary for us. Uh, confession of our hope. Confession of our hope is something that we need to do on a daily basis. We need to make known not only to ourselves, but to others, uh, that we have a belief, a trust, a hope, that we have faith in God. Uh, and, and this is without vacillating. That is without wavering, right? Without shifting to the left or to the right. There's going to be things in your life that cause you to want to stagger to the left or to the right to go off course, but we need to stay focused and fixed on the path that has been set before us. And that requires a lot of discipline, doesn't it? That requires us to take a conscious effort to do what it is that God has called us to do, whatever that might be. Why or how is this possible? Because he promised and he is faithful, that's how. It has nothing to do with your willpower. It don't have nothing to do with your stick to it don't have anything to do with the fact that you just can determine in yourself to do this and that's the way it's going to be. No, it has to do with the fact that God has promised and he is faithful, right? God is a promise keeping God, isn't he, right? He is a promise keeper, right? Is he not? He never made a promise and then did not come through. Is that right? That's not the kind of God we serve, is it? I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of God that I serve, right? He is a faithful God. 
Is he not? He's always there on time, right? Even when you decide that you want to try to leave him, he will never leave you nor forsake you, will he, right? Even when it seems like you want to be a little hard-headed, right? He is always there for you, right? To gently, right? And sometimes, hmm, sometimes he got to take you to the woodshed to get you back on track, doesn't he, right? Doesn't he? But we want to try to avoid those instances as much as possible, don't we? Right. But God is faithful. He is faithful and he is a promise keeping God. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. What should we be doing for one another? We need to bear each other up, don't we? Huh? We need what that, that word stimulate. What is that? that? That means to get a person's mind and his thoughts on doing something in particular, right? We need to be the catalyst, right? We need to be the one who causes that person to want to do more for God, right? We want to help to put some fire up under them, right? And get them going, right? To encourage them in the walk of God, in the, 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 the way of God, in the works of God that God has given to them. And we need to stimulate them, right? In order to get them sometimes to do that. But guess what? Sometimes they got to turn around and do the same thing for us, don't they, right? That is the way that God has designed it, right? And what are we stimulating them to do? To love, what? Love one another, right? To love others, right? And to do good deeds. Good deeds are not just kind acts, but these are things that are done because God has called you to do those things and they're done to bring glory and honor. how I'm going to stimulate my brother or my sister how to do this and to do that, right? And not just do this and that, but to love and what? And to do good deeds. That's what we want to be contemplating in our minds and conjuring up, considering. What are we to do in respect to the people of God? Stimulate one another to love and to do good deeds. And finally here, we have not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, right? Do not take for granted the importance of communion and fellowship with the people of God. This is something else that I'm looking forward to. Not being at work when everybody else is having fun with the church, right? Y'all like to meet on Friday and Saturday all the time. and Y'all know I got to work every Friday and Saturday. Why don't y'all pick another day, right? Guess what? I don't have to say that no more, do I? Because God has made it so I don't have to miss out on everything, right? When y'all get to go and have a game night, when y'all get to go and go bowling, when y'all get to meet at somebody's house, I don't have to be the one at work wishing I could be with everybody else, right? Because God made it possible for me to be able to move to another chapter. I didn't turn the page on that chapter and moved on to the next chapter. And that is by God's grace and his mercy. And I'm looking forward to seeing what this chapter has. And I'm gonna I'm hold you to it. I didn't been out with uh, Brother Tom and, and Brother Chris for breakfast and lunch a couple of times. And uh, don't be surprised if I call you up, Brother Trevor, and say, you know, you're gonna need to, to come on out with us, Brother Darren or whoever, right? Whoever would be willing, huh? And we will add a little bit by, by but my goal is to try to spend some time outside of the five or 10 minutes that I get to bump elbows with you in the church, right? 
that is something that I would like to see happen with us all. I know the sisters, they get together. They, they, they do that kind of thing. But the men, for some reason, we, we just, I don't know. We get caught up in our own thing. and We don't do those kinds of things like they do. So some have made a practice of this to, to the detriment of not only themselves, that is uh, forsaking the assembling of themselves together, right? It has been not only to the detriment of themselves, but to others as well. Uh, how, how many uh, know that, that that person maybe, you know, they could have made it, right? They could still be here with us if you just went that extra step and you made that contact with them throughout the week. This is something that we need to do. Uh, so after all, we are talking about a family and not just any family, but the family of God. How much more important is the family of God than some of these other relationships out in the world that we have? Uh, he said, I encourage you, but don't uh, discount the fact that you encourage me as well. So uh, my goal is to try to encourage you as much as possible. But don't think that I'm not watching you, right? And I told Sister Radcliffe this before, that she has encouraged me just from, she wasn't even maybe trying to, but just looking at her life, right? My father-in-law, he encourages me, right? My Uncle Ursie, and I won't get in trouble like my father used to do, right? Naming names, right? Huh? Huh? After a while, I'm going to have to name everybody in here, right? Can I just do that? Seeing each and every one of you come out here, my Uncle Nate back there getting that, that 8 o'clock message every single morning. That lets me know that, guess what? He's still on his post. He's still in the, right? My Uncle Ursie, he, he don't have nothing but an encouraging word to share with me and help me, and it does me good to see. I'm going to stop naming names, y'all. Everybody I didn't name, I'm sorry. But you all have encouraged. And I know I can't go home and not say something about my mother-in-law and my wife. Y'all know that, right? Rest of y'all, y'all just have to understand, right? <laughs> Brother Mark and Sister Lucille, y'all have encouraged me as well. <laughs> Sister Karen, <laughs> Sister Marnie. <laughs> Elder Seawright, I can't leave him out. He's hiding over there behind. Huh? <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Y'all get the y'all get the message though, right? Y'all understand what I'm saying. <laughs> we love I love you too. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, yes, I love all of you. And uh so can you say it doesn't matter if you don't come to church? You can't say that because it does matter, right? Because we all need each other in order to survive. And then lastly, draw near to drawing near to the judgment of God. We, we are drawing near to the judgment of God. And uh, it says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day approaching. Not only can we see that we need to draw near to the presence of God, not only should we see that we need to draw near to the house of God, the church, not only should we understand the importance of drawing near to the people of God, but we should see the importance of doing so even more and more as we see the day of judgment approaching. That day is getting closer and closer. And if you haven't been paying attention, it's, it's upon us now. Okay? It's upon us now. We need to draw near to God in our personal lives more and more. We need to draw near to the house of God. We are the household of God. 
but we are also the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And we need not lose sight of that. Each one who has come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can attest to the fact that we are the dwelling place of God. And we are part of his household. We need to draw near to the people of God in a corporate sense. And this becomes even more apparent to those who do not live in godly homes. There's some people we take it for granted. We live in a household where everybody knows about the word of God. No, they study the word of God, right? They speak about spiritual things all the time. They constantly going to and from church and whatnot, but not everyone has that as their experience. We may have some people, there's only one in the whole household that's naming the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those are people that need help throughout the week. They can't just come on Sunday, get a fill up, and then come back next week, and that's it. They need for others to reach out to them. And finally, we need to draw near to all these things because judgment is drawing near. First Peter, as we close with this, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. This is a segue into a future message, Lord willing, about that judgment. It's either Christ or judgment. Those are your options. And we need to be in a position in this world that is lost in darkness to be able to share with them that it's not about all these other choices. There's two choices. It's either Christ or it's judgment. Every knee is going to bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only difference will be, will you do it of your own free will, of your own volition, or will you do it by force? If you do it of your own volition, of your own free will, you have eternal life. If you have to be forced to do it, you will do it anyway and have eternal hell, fire, and damnation. You don't hear that very often from pulpits. And I think that's a big problem that we have here in this country and with the church in general. Nobody wants to talk about hell, but it is an ever-present reality and it's closer than you might think. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. In the day that you hear his voice, harden not your heart as the children of Israel did when they were in the wilderness and provoked God. We don't want to be like that. We want to seize the opportunity that God has given to us. And today is that day. If there are those who want to have prayer, we want to allow space for you to come afterwards. But at this time, we're gonna go ahead and turn it over to our hospitality department and uh, let them give further instructions and directions from this point forward. Thank you. Amen.